Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Tuesday, February 7th. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military correspondent, Emmanuel Fabian, and news editor, Amy Spiro. Hello to you both. Good morning. Hi, good morning. We have a lot to cover, starting with Israel's missions to Turkey following the pair of earthquakes that has left many thousands dead. We will hear about what efforts are being made to help neighboring Syria as well. Stay tuned because we'll also speak about an upstart women's soccer team in Jerusalem. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing, environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet. But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Yesterday, a powerful 7.8 magnitude earthquake and a secondary 7.5 magnitude quake rocked southeastern Turkey and northern Syria. The World Health Organization officials are estimating up to 20,000 may have died. Manny, you reported that in the wake of the deadly earthquakes yesterday, the IDF has already sent two teams of military rescue experts to Turkey. So what kind of expertise is included in these teams making up what they're calling Operation Olive Branches? Right. So on uh, Monday afternoon, an initial uh, team departed uh, for, for Turkey uh, almost um, immediately, like only just a few hours after the uh, the earthquake happened. It's a small team, about a dozen people, and they're there just to survey the area and to figure out priorities and to understand kind of the, the, the picture of what's going on while the bigger expedition uh, was preparing itself. And uh, they actually arrived uh, early this morning uh, in Adana in in Turkey. Uh, And it's comprised of about 150 people. They are mostly uh, doctors and uh, rescue experts and engineering experts. There are some intelligence experts there as well to uh, to understand the field and understand what's going on and some headquarters to kind of manage everything altogether. So the head of the operation, Golan Vach, um, told reporters that it was the 31st uh, expedition of his unit in the past 40 years. And he said that uh, this one is uh, one of the, the worst earthquakes that they've ever seen or, or been to. Uh, he said the last um, really, really bad earthquake was the one in Haiti in 2010, I believe. So they landed this morning and they've already um, set out to, to, to begin. But they're traveling a few hours to get to the sites that are more damaged because... They couldn't obviously land in the damaged areas because the the airports themselves are uh, not fully operating right now. Uh, Additionally, in the delegation, there's uh, some fire and rescue service officials that joined. And separately, there are some 
Israeli medical delegations, so Magen David Adom and Hatzala and the Rescuers Without Borders Service, said they'd be sending um, some officials as well, uh, some medics to, to assist with the local authorities. Uh, and lastly, the Defense Minister Gallant approved the IDF to uh, establish a field hospital in Turkey, in, in the southern southern eastern part of Turkey, provided uh, you know the Turkish authorities uh, need it. Um, it looks like the field hospital delegation will take off later this afternoon. It, it looks like it has been approved by the Turkish side, but we'll follow and definitely update on that. Thanks, Manny. Now, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Monday that Israel also plans to send aid to Syria, including tents, medication, and blankets. There's been a sense of confusion over this order. Who is meant to carry this out? Amy, thoughts? Yeah, so Netanyahu made a statement yesterday that was, um, you know, somewhat vague, intentionally vague, uh, saying that a request was received, right? He wasn't saying Syria asked us for this. A lot of reports are indicating that this was Russia who made this request. Russia hasn't officially commented. And so Netanyahu said that, you know, they will answer this request. Um, he didn't actually go into details, but sources have said they're going to sort of send that kind of aid. And not surprisingly, Syria immediately said, we never asked Israel for help. We would never ask Israel for help. I think it's also fair to say that Israel made this offer knowing that Syria would likely publicly reject it, where enemy states were in a state of war. We saw after the Lebanon blast, then Defense Minister Benny Gantz repeatedly said Israel would send aid to uh, to Beirut. And they obviously said no. So it's unclear what will come of it. Obviously, Israel can still send aid through third parties, et cetera, send aid. We may not even know necessarily what is sent because the more public Israel makes it, the less likely Syria is to accept it. So certainly there aren't going to be teams of Israelis going there the way we're seeing in Turkey. Um, but we can send shipments of certain supplies. And uh, that sort of remains to be seen what what will be. Now, Manny, the situation there is more complicated in northwestern Syria because this is a rebel-controlled area. What can you tell us about this? Right. So, yeah, it's definitely complicated, like uh, Amy said. Um, Through a third party is definitely possible, um, but uh, it wouldn't be unprecedented if if the the, uh, Israeli army actually assisted Syrians. We saw during the early years of the Syrian civil war that um, in rebel-held areas, um, the Israeli army would um, help and, and treat Syrians who arrived on Israel's borders. But this is in northern Syria, so it's a bit more difficult. Israel's not there, but if it was on the Turkish border and people arrived, then maybe uh, they would assist there. Um, regardless, um, the the IDF or the military spokesperson told uh, reporters yesterday that uh, Israel was the IDF was not instructed uh, to provide aid to Syria as of now. It was not involved in any potential aid to Syria as of now. Uh, so he said it wasn't uh, like a relevant question to ask them uh, currently. Um, but we'll see perhaps if if the if this search and rescue delegation uh, goes towards the closer to the border, then um, then maybe they'll be able to help people on the Syrian border. Okay, Manny, Amy, thank you for these updates. We're going to a short break and afterwards we'll discuss more Israeli domestic issues. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag. 
in a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Amy, you reported yesterday that out of the 31 ministries in the current government sworn in at the end of December, not one minister has appointed a woman to serve as director general. 23 of the positions have already been filled by men. And while this is regrettable, I wonder, is this so unusual? So uh, unusual, probably, unfortunately, not so unusual, but these numbers um, are a little extreme to see that zero women are heading ministries uh, in the outgoing government. There were nine women heading ministries, and there were uh, only 27, so it was obviously a much higher percentage. So as you said, 23 were already filled. Two more were attempted to be filled by men, so there are six more that in theory, could have a female head them. Um, Obviously, all six are not going to be headed by women. Probably most of them will not be headed by women. It would certainly, from my perspective, be a stain on this government to say there isn't a single female director general in the entire cabinet. Um, The government does have six female ministers. Um, You know, it added a couple after the swearing in when it only had a few. And this this is not a coalition that um, has a lot of female representation in general, right? You have several parties in the coalition that don't have any women at all. So I don't think the expectations were super high, but to look and see that 25 nominations have been made and zero of them have been women is obviously a little disturbing and disconcerting. And it has also angered some women's groups who have said to the prime minister and to other authorities, this is not acceptable. You need to do something to change. Or we might turn to the courts and say, this is not fair representation. Thanks, Amy. Now, Manny, turning back to you, yesterday you reported that several Palestinian gunmen were killed in a military raid near Jericho as part of an operation to apprehend suspects involved in a shooting attack on a restaurant located about 20 minutes from the Dead Sea, quite close to Jericho. Were these would-be mass murderers part of an organized terror cell? And, And piggybacking after Amy's comments, tell us how women were actually involved here. Right, so the uh, two Palestinian gunmen who uh, attempted to shoot at the Mikasa restaurant, it's close to the Almog Junction, kind of at the entrance of Jericho, um, uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, They approached the restaurant, which had about 30 customers at the time. Uh, One of the gunmen opened fire, but after a single shot, his gun jammed, uh, and then they fled the scene and did not carry out the attack. Um, the military in the Shimbet said they planned a, a, a mass murder spree at the restaurant uh, and wanted to kill, uh, you know, possibly dozens of people there. Um, so what happened is they fled to Jericho and uh, for several days the army's been um, searching for them. There was one failed raid uh, last weekend and there's been a lot of intelligence operations to try and locate the parents. 
to understand what they're part of. So according to military sources and, and current assessments, it, it appears that there's some sort of Hamas or a Hamas-affiliated cell or kind of group operating in Jericho or in the Jericho area, in, mostly in the Aqba Jabba uh, refugee camp, which is next to Jericho. And this uh, this pair are thought to be part of this uh, armed group, this Hamas or Hamas-affiliated armed group. It's not clear how close they are to the Gaza-based op- uh, organization. Uh, regardless, troops entered in again on early Monday, and uh, during the operation, they had several um, locations where they were going to search. So the special forces were sent to search a certain area, and troops of the um, Lions of the Valley uh, mixed gender uh, light bata- light infantry battalion. Uh, they were asked to search another area, kind of on the outskirts of the refugee camp. Uh, and when they arrived, this um, sort of makeshift office area attached to a building a gunman opened fire at them um it hit one of the one of the officers there but didn't injure him he had a a vest on uh, a bulletproof vest and the troops which were comprised of i believe 15 women and 12 men so a mixed gender uh unit they returned fire and killed uh five uh palestinian gunmen uh, all of them affiliated with this uh, armed group um, and two of them were the ones who uh, tried to attack the restaurant a week and a half earlier, and the other three also were members of the organization, and another two were also wounded, and then several more were arrested in the area. So definitely the most significant operation for this battalion, uh, which is usually um, involved in um, kind of security operations and guarding settlements and guarding the border, uh, and less involved in fierce gun battles with Hamas uh, terrorists, uh, so definitely a, a very significant moment. And it's a very young uh, battalion as well. It was only established about five years ago. Um, and in general for the light infantry battalions, which are all uh, mixed mixed gender, uh, definitely one of the more significant uh, events for uh, for this kind of unit. Manny, thank you for that. Now, Amy, finally, let's talk about women in a different battlefield, a gutsy women's soccer team in Jerusalem. So there's a lot to get into here, and I really recommend to our listeners to look at your story and read it and enjoy it. But one of the things that stood out to me is that the team, Hapoel Yerushalayim, Hapoel Jerusalem, is actually a co-op and owned by its fans. So how do you think that this factors into the relative equal opportunities afforded to the women's team here in Jerusalem? Yeah, it actually plays a very significant role um, because it means that decisions about the team and about the operations of the team are not made by one person and they're not made by someone who's solely motivated by income because the fact of the matter is that running a women's uh, soccer team, and my apologies to anyone who's not American for using the word soccer, but we're going to go with it here. Uh, the bottom line is it's not it's not profitable, right? You need to go into it for essentially other reasons. Um, and so because of the, they have this board and they have the meeting of fans who vote on things, they're able to make this decision and um, create this team really out of nothing just a few years ago um, because it's not just a just looking at the, you know, lost profit situation. The women playing on this team are, shall we say, professional, but they're definitely not making their livelihood from the team. What else are they doing to support themselves? Yes, I don't really think there are any women in Israel who make their livelihood out of playing soccer because it's just not feasible. Um, So everyone on the team is doing something else. Um, Everyone on the team is either studying in school, has a job because it's just not it's just not feasible, which means they they show up at 
six, seven, eight at night and after a day of whatever it is they're doing uh, to start practicing. Um, yeah, they do all sorts of things. One's studying nutrition. Um, one's an engineer. Um, some are still in high school. They're 16, 17, 18-year-old girls. Um, you know, some of them are in the army. There's all sorts of things that they're doing in addition to this. And some of them are actually players who have played elsewhere in the world. And they told you how this team in Jerusalem compares. What did they say? Yeah, so quite a few have played overseas. Uh, some of the Israelis have played overseas, but also this year, um, you know, teams in the Premier League are allowed to have up to five foreign players. So Hapal Jerusalem has five foreign players as well. And so they've, m- you know, many of them have played several places in the world. Um, and they all really told me that compared to overseas and also compared to what else they've done in Israel, this team has really provided a lot of just infrastructure and support. Um, the salary is not necessarily, you know, going to... The salary issue is is going to be everywhere in the world, but you know, partly because Hapoel Jerusalem obviously also has a very successful men's team, so the infrastructure that that men's team has is also um, you know used for them. Some of the staff works for both. Um, they get just some of the benefits that comes along with that, and so um, they've said it's really like the most in terms of just support. Um, really hard to compare to anything else they've experienced so far. How is the team doing and where can we see them play? So the team is doing pretty well. I'll point out that it didn't exist three years ago. It was started in 2020. It started in the lowest ranking league in Israel, which is Artsy. After the very first season, it moved up to Lumit. And after that season, it moved up to the Premier League, where it is now. Um, when I met the team a few weeks ago, they were undefeated. I am somewhat concerned that I have jinxed them because (laughs) since I met them, they haven't won a game. Um, But they did only that their two losses were to the top ranked team in the league. So maybe understandable. And then there was one and then there was (laughs) one tie and they play almost every week. Um, They're playing this Thursday. Um, I believe they're playing against Apollo Beresheva. I don't remember if that team is in uh, uh, if that game is in Jerusalem or in Beresheva, but it, everything's on their website and all the games are free. Um, so anyone can show up, uh, support the team, support the opposing team if you want to. So all the dates and everything is on their site and anyone can show up at any at any game. Come one, come all. Amy, Manny, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.